Now, the heading on this one is the way of the cross. And I'm reading Mark 8, as you can see, 34 to 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. The second reading is Philippians 3, verse 17, verse 7 to 17. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that to God will make clear to you. Only let us give live up to what we have already attained Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Amen. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. It's great to be um, able to come together on a beautiful autumn morning and on this uh, Mother's, uh, Mother's Day morning and open up God's Word uh, with you. Uh, and as Sue said, I also want to say Happy Mother's Day to mums and uh, and wherever t- a day like today um, leaves you feeling, the array of emotions that days of celebration can leave to joy, to sadness, to heartache, and everything in between, we, we really want to uh, uh, hope that you have an encouraging time with us and you feel valued and, uh, and, and are able to take something out of today which is really helpful. And what we're going to do is we're going to be thinking about not mothers but Jesus and a devotion to him. But as I was thinking about what it means to be devoted to Jesus, 
I, I couldn't help but thinking, my mum has certainly been devoted to her four boys. We, we got everything that we needed. We were cared for. I never, ever, ever cooked. Never got into the kitchen at all because mum did it all. She did all the washing. The first time I cooked was when I started uh, going out with Jen and she said, we're going to end up together. You need to do half the cooking and I freaked out. So I learned to cook quickly because I didn't want to miss out on Jen. But before that, I didn't have to cook because mum did it all for me. It was, it was great. Everything, the devotion to our wanting to do extracurricular activities, the caring for us when we were stressed, that's what mothers do, should do, and it's something we take for granted. That picture is what devotion, kind of gives us a little snapshot into what devotion is like. Mothers are devoted to their kids. And as we consider Jesus, we're going to see that this devotion is about being all in. It's not a devotion at times. It's not a devotion that you do as part of the day, that, that actually was a very helpful idea that Amanda came up with, with the All Ages spot. It's about understanding that as a follower of Jesus, we go all the way. And that's what we're going to uh, consider today. Uh, we, as, uh, as we've already heard, we're doing this series over these next uh, eight weeks uh, now, including today, on kind of the key things that mark what a, what a Christian looks like if they want to be a follower of Jesus, which is what a Christian is, a disciple. What, what, what does that look like? And we had to start with grace last week because the only way you can possibly have this uh, way of being in a relationship with Jesus, following Him, is completely by Him, His grace, our undeserved gift that He gives us. And that undeserved gift of grace, His Son for us, drives us to devotion. And so today we're picking up that principle and taking it a bit further. And so then when we go through the next few weeks, we see that the grace that we've been given and our response to devotion to God shape how we think about everything else we do when we follow Jesus. Uh, If you haven't got the outline there, you can just run up now and grab one if you like. There's a bit of a detailed outline uh, this week, which is uh, surprising for some of my talks, I know, but there is a detailed outline and, uh, and that might help you just keep the flow going if, if, if that's uh, something helpful for you. But what I want us to do is first consider, not just anecdotally, as I've started off with how mothers point us towards devotion, what is it? What words come to mind when you hear devotion? Yell some out to me. What words words come to mind? Steadfastness. The sum total is steadfastness. Loyalty. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. What else? Single-minded. Steadfast and single-minded. Beautiful. Yep. Sacrificial. Committed. Wholehearted, absolutely. My actual final uh, uh, kind of wrapping up today, my question is, what should our wholehearted devotion look like? All of those things are a beautiful way of summarizing it. Uh, the words that are often used is love, loyalty. Um, it's an enthusiasm for a person. 
or an activity, and we're talking about a person today. That steadfast, sacrificial devotion. And so our goal today is to be convinced that we should be devoted to Jesus and consider a little bit about what that looks like, making it a little bit more tangible. So how do you do this? There's lots of ways you can approach it. On our, in, the, in, the Bible, in the Bible studies, in the booklets, they just picked one guy who ends up being devoted to Jesus and considering him. Today, I want us to sit back and think about God first, weighing up the cost and seeing what that cost looks like. You see, if we're going to think about devotion to God, isn't it a good idea to consider God's devotion to us first? I think there's a great little passage, a great little verse actually, that is kind of gone beyond even just Christianity to, into uh, the secular world at times. This is a verse that sometimes gets brought up. John 3.16. But this verse gives us an insight into God's attitude towards humanity, towards us. John 3.16 says... God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now you may have heard of that verse uh, many times. If you're visiting and and don't often um, um, do church things, it may be new to you. But this uh, very well-known verse highlights that Jesus died for us and you need to believe in him. But when we delve into it a little bit more, we can actually see that that all happens because of God's total, steadfast commitment, sacrifice, His love. It's His devotion to us. God so loved the world. The Father loved us. But before we get to that, let's not forget that the Father has unsurpassed love for His Son. The Father gives His Son everything. God the Father gives His Son everything. In John's Gospel, we see that very clearly um, all all through there. We see that not only does the Father give Him everything, um, when we've talked about the point of all existence, we've seen um, previously over other weeks, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 highlights the point of everything and the point of everything is that all things are to be united in Christ, in Jesus. That's the goal. Of everything. The Father's devotion to the Son is that everything He has, wants to be united to His Son. That's His unsurpassed devotion. Now, that Father and that Son loved us that the Father gave Jesus to us. The love of the world meant He gave it to death. That's pretty significant. Jesus died for us because of his love for us. Can you see how this is not just a technical instruction on how a Christian comes to a relationship with God? There is a real emotional side to it as well. There is a real clear, this is what it looks like to see how God cares for you. Because what the consequence was without the son doing this is that you will perish, waste away. 
And so the son who has been given everything takes our death so that we can have life. It says whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, whoever has faith in him. That is extraordinary. The cost to God was that he gave his most loved son. It wasn't a lend, it wasn't like a borrow. You can have Jesus for a while, but then I want him back and then I'll give him everything. He gave himself up for us. And the son didn't just have to do it because his uh, father told him to. The son in his devotion to us willingly, knowing the consequences of our sin, went to the cross. We see that in the garden where he was... Uh, just before his death, confronted with what he was about to face and the anguish because he knew and yet not my will but yours is what he said. If we start with God's devotion to us, I think when we weigh up the cost of whether we're going to be devoted to him, that helps. You see, when we weigh up the cost of whether we're going to be devoted to God, it's not a do what I say kind of approach. It's not a, there are the rules, now you follow them, this is the devotion I expect from you. It's a, you're all in for me because I've been all in for you. It's not cold and calculating like some kind of formula. This is what's needed. So like your devotion, uh, your devotion to uh, the things that are in front of you that just got to be done and there's no emotion involved in it. No, there's love. It's not you have to do it, but it, it, it kind of, well, it kind of sucks. It's not really great. You don't, you don't like it. It's not that kind of devotion. It's like the, the study you've got to do, which you go, I really don't like this subject, but I've got to do it. I've got to get through. I've got to pass it. Have you ever had that experience or that job at work that you just think this is the worst but I've got to do it well, I've got to be devoted. It's not that kind of devotion. The God we devote ourselves to has made it personal for himself. So it's personal for us. I don't think you can truly decide to follow Jesus if you haven't understood God, God's love for you and responding to that. It's more than just some kind of formula for life. So, there's God. How, how are we to be devoted to Him? What is the cost to us to be devoted to Him? Uh, Phil helpfully read for us um, Mark chapter 8. In that great passage where Jesus... Um, has been identified as the Messiah. It's happened in this uh, just just recently. And so he calls the crowd together in Mark 8.34 with his disciples and he explains to them, okay, I'm the one that everyone's waiting for. Let me tell you how this is going to work. And they're kind of a little bit shocked. It wasn't exactly the triumphant um, description that maybe some thought. The key verse to it all today the verse that you really need to wrestle with and get, get your head around is verse, 30, is verse 34. Let's have a look. 
whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, if you want to really follow me, I don't want you just to go, you like me, and yeah, okay, I've done all these cool miracles. You think out of everyone, I'm a good person to hang out with. I kind of like your moral stuff you're talking about. That's fine, but go with that. He kind of goes, here's the bar, and I'm blowing it way up here. He's kind of saying, this is how it works. If you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple, you want to learn about me and live for me, you must deny yourself. Be my disciples, you must deny themselves. That is his saying very clearly. What you need to do is push yourself down and bring me up. Not put yourself down as in you're worthless and useless and nothing and you know you need to go down that path. It's just put yourself not as the be-all and end-all of everything. It's to trample down your pride and to think that you need to trumpet yourself above everything else. Maybe a way to get your head around that is, have you ever been tempted at work or um, amongst your friends when you're at school to think, I need to get above the pack. I need to show people that I'm good at this, that I need to prove to them and so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to show I'm the best at it or I need to just show that I'm number one. I had a conversation with um, a little guy, Ethan, uh, this week and something had happened and he said, but what, why did you do that? You know, that's not right. And he said, he's very honest, he said, I just wanted the attention. Now, he's trying to figure life out. That's normal for a six-year-old in many ways. But that idea of us, it needs to be about me. Is Jesus saying, no, following me is not about you. You've got to deny yourself. That's challenging enough, but to understand the depths of that, we have the second part of this verse, and then we kind of have three little statements which are kind of not this but this, to elaborate further. He says in the rest of the verse, and you deny yourself, and so when you're not going to try and make yourself as if you're the bee's knees of everything, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, you follow me and in my way of suffering. See, God's first way, as we just saw when we're talking about his devotion to us, was to go to the cross. And he's saying by taking up your cross is that you weigh up everything, you weigh up all your personal ambition and you put it aside and realize, I'll follow my Lord Jesus wherever it takes me, even if there's a great cost to it. Some of the most intense words in the Bible, I reckon, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. A lifelong exploration and challenge and constant coming back to those verses and thinking about the times when we forget that is valuable. Jesus is saying we need to weigh up whether we truly want to follow him. He's offering it. There is a cost. Is it worth it? 
He wants to make it even further clear in the way that he explains in verses 35, 36 and 38. There's three kind of statements. There's the, you save your life, you lose it idea. Then there's the gaining the whole world, but then you'll give up your life. And then there's the being ashamed idea. These are really helpful ideas to help see a little bit further what devotion to Jesus looks like. Whoever, in verse 35, whoever wants to save their life life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is not saying every single person needs to actually physically give up their life. That would kind of be a really poor, over-the-top explanation of what he's saying. What he's saying is, he's saying that that attitude of there is nothing that can get in the road of you sacrificing yourself for me. That if someone did come through those doors today and say, I am going to actually kill you all unless you reject Jesus. Do you want to save your life or lose it? The attitude and principle is what he's getting at there, as intense as it is. wants to elaborate further, not just on our life, but how we view this world. This is a really helpful verse for our current Western world and what we're caught up in, in verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It doesn't matter how successful you get now, all the benefits that you have, and Don't we get frustrated when things don't work out? This year has actually been a tough... Like we planted a church last year and things have gone really well and God's been great. But in in reflection, I think this year has been emotionally harder. Life has been harder for many of us this year as I I think about and and, and pray for us all. It's been one of those, those years. We're not necessarily always gaining everything, but is our response to go okay, so I need to get more stuff now, I need things to be better now, I need happiness right now, and to pursue that path? Is that what we seek to do? I'm amazed with how much some people get just because of the skills that they have and how it works out. And other people with better skills don't get anywhere near as much money. There's a very um, famous golfer, that many of you won't know, some of you will, and Northern Irishman Rory McIlroy. I've said to some of you, because I just can't believe it, he just got a brand new contract with um, a golf company, TaylorMade, for 10 years. $250 million. That is unbelievable. He hits the golf ball. It's not helping much, other than a bit of fun. And you have all these people with amazing skills that get, maybe get paid well for it, but they're not even, <laughs> it's not even a comparison for all the, all the very, you know, all those people have done many PhDs and are working in, in their fields and changing the world, and then they're not making all that money and gaining the world like that. And you think, how we gain things in this world and what am I getting? And it all seems confused. And in the end, Jesus is saying, just stop for a moment and think, what good is it? What good is it for you to gain the whole world? I heard someone say this week, Rory has 
everything now, doesn't he? He has more than everything because you can't spend that much money. He doesn't. Because this world, our time in this world ends. Is it worth it if we forfeit our soul? We've got saving our life, losing our life, then we're thinking about our stuff and we're constantly being pulled back into it, aren't we? We're not wanting heaps of money, a lot of us, but we want things to be better. We want that feeling of um, satisfaction with the physical and now and the, the job satisfaction to the just having a job. So all of this stuff that we need now. And then we get verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, that's pretty harsh, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. If you're, a son, if you're going to be my, a follower of me, you kind of like the idea of me, you see that you, Jesus has died for you, but when it comes to it, you kind of act as if you're ashamed of me. Do you think that I'm okay with that when I want you to be a follower of me? It's not Jesus just being horrendously brutal. Oh, well, you're ashamed of me. I'm going to be ashamed of you. Like, you know, tit for tat kind of approach. He's saying the whole thing that I've done for you is a life of commitment together in relationship. So being ashamed doesn't work. A follower of Jesus is never ashamed of the one who's given his very life for us. It's an amazing passage. It's kind of just raises the bar so high, you think, well, how do I think about these things? Well, we need to consider, is all of this worth it? And actually, let me go back to the ashamed idea because I just, just remember that one time that really sticks out for me when I started going to university to study occupational therapy and and I remember I was still I, I would have said I kind of liked God I knew God I believed that Jesus died but um, I don't think I really truly had a relationship with him but I remember walking in the, one of the first weeks in my first year there's a big banner UBS university bible study and I remember a whole bunch of guys that I was with that I hardly knew trying to be friends with them and said oh, so imagine if you're in that group imagine if you're part of it how ridiculous it is to be part of them and in my head I'm, oh, I, I remember it so clearly in my head I'm thinking why good on them for doing that if that's what they think life's about and that's good but in my my words said yeah that's ridiculous isn't it I hadn't figured that out yeah, and it was a few weeks later where someone shared with me the gospel on the on a lawn who had just become a Christian, said what they believed, I realised I believed it, and then a couple of weeks later I'm part of that group. God pulled me out of my shame and helped me realise how I was to see Him. Now, is this worth it? I want to suggest to you today, of course it is. Life is hard. Coming to Jesus is not 
So it's a Mr. Fix-It. He's going to fix your current needs. So that's why you come to him. We come to Jesus because there's a life of glory waiting. It says in verse 38, He'll be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory. He's coming in his Father's glory and it goes into all eternity. Do we want to forfeit that? Do we want to not be saved by that? Do we want to be ashamed of that? Or do we want to embrace the promise of a life of glory? Consider how God sees you, the devotion he has to you that is unsurpassed, that's amazing. Have you ever counted up the cost of what it is to follow Jesus? For some of us, it's been quite easy so far, maybe because we're young in the faith and life hasn't been that confronting or we we live in Australia and we don't have the persecution that so many thousands and millions of our brothers and sisters today that we don't hear about are facing. That to decide to follow Jesus means being disowned by family, means them maybe wanting to kill you, it means needing to go into hiding, it means meeting like this is super dangerous. You just happen to be, by God's grace, living here. But what if you were living there? If you were transported there right now? If I could clip my fingers and here we are, in the Middle East somewhere. Does your attitude to Jesus change or is it worth it? Brothers and sisters, I think it absolutely is worth it. Because of the life of glory waiting. So as we uh, finish, well, as we spend some time just in reflection, what should our wholehearted devotion look like? From everything I've already said, I hope you can kind of pull that out for yourselves. But let me just kind of give you some thoughts in four kind of ways of thinking about it. The first one is it has to be a heart thing and a mind thing, obviously. It has to be a heart thing, a personal relationship. And if we go through the Bible, we see that's what's actually going on. There's many biblical examples of people confronting God and it being about a relationship change and overhaul completely. It's extraordinary. The story of Paul, the apostle, who was anti-Christianity, who wanted to take Christians down, we read in Acts. He was zealous beyond, beyond anyone else, he says. He is the one who wanted to deal with this Christian group. And Jesus himself, an extraordinary story you can read in Acts, calls him and says, why are you persecuting me? And his life turns around. God pulls him out of that. And he spends a life in deep personal relationship to, uh, to Jesus and telling everyone else, this is what I need you to do. Love the Lord. I thank God when I see you loving the Lord. When you see Paul and the way he talks, you see it's unconditional devotion. And so we read Philippians 3. We won't go in it today. We're actually going to do the whole book of Philippians uh, later in the year. Jack's going to preach uh, through that passage 
uh, through that book, and I think Peter was doing one of them as well. And we're going to see, when you see it, it's unparalleled devotion. It's all for Jesus. There's many stories as Jesus in the Gospels, and as, he, as he's going along, and people encounter him, and we see devotion means dropping everything and following him. Like Zacchaeus. Following him and understanding what he wants. It's a personal thing. Now, yesterday at Men's Commission at AMC, it was really good. Um, uh, Paul Harrington actually had to um, uh, MC because MC got really sick and was in bed. And so Paul was, Paul was uh, leading the service and he finished it off at the end of the day. And he said, oh, my son said to me uh, today, because we had flowers there to pick up um, at the end, uh, which is a good thing to do. A guy came so we could buy flowers for all the mums. And, and, and my son said to me, that, Dad, you don't need to buy flowers uh, for, for my mum because she's not your mum, she's your wife. And Paul just said, he clearly hasn't figured out what Mother's Day is all about. Because it's not about, well, no, this is clearly mother. Nope, not a mother. I get away with it. It's about relationships. It's about embracing the people you love. And so everyone should get the flowers. It's a relationship. The second point, it's not off the cuff. I do a lot of things off the cuff. We don't ad-lib a relationship with Jesus. Devotion doesn't work that way. Figuring out as I go without a guide is not how you do it. That's why you, you hear Christians um, talking about loving the Bible, loving it and getting into it, not because it's extra pious, it's because it's God telling you about life and you want to understand it. I was driving <laughs> the men's convention yesterday and I, oh yeah, I know where Concordia College is and I started driving and I hadn't put it into Google uh, Maps. I've been there so many times, it should have been easy, but I, oh, I'll, just, I'll just fudge it. I was a few minutes late because I kept on circling it because I didn't, I didn't have my usual guide, Google Maps. You'll just keep on circling around Jesus without truly following him unless you go to him and his word. We'll come up with all wacky ways that maybe he doesn't like unless we come back to him. more I can tell on that but I'm going to move on to our third point Jesus is your new number one it's time to destroy our pride and not think oh good I've destroyed it it's done with pride our desire to raise ourselves up is a constant lifelong battle we're not God God is God you are not number one it's good for you to hear that you might keep telling yourself that but deep down there are times when you try and make yourself out to be one like i do mums you're not number one it's a rude thing to say on mother's day but i hope you have a wonderful day but you're not number one a distant second but second if you like everyone else is a distant second that's how we think about it that our priorities need to shift. That we don't think about um, whatever relationship it is as the most important thing in our life. God is. 
And then those relationships work out so much better and they're so much more treasured and valued when you see it that way. See, he's the new number one and that means we don't do things that he hates. You know, the classic, well, clearly that's sinful. God, we, we, we rid ourselves of that because he's number one. He's number one, so his plans are our plans. That's why we started our church with Christ's love compels us because God's plan is for mission. God's plan is for people to hear about Jesus. And so that's our plan because he is number one. Everything else, even the good things, are a distant second. The last thing I want to bring up, it's a lifelong project. It's not for a time. Because it's for a time, if we go back, if we go back to Mark 8, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You did it for a time, but then you forfeited your soul because you didn't actually commit to Jesus and trust in Him. You trust. You spent, say, 30 years of your life thinking, Jesus has saved me by grace. And then on your deathbed, you go, you know what? No, He doesn't. It's about my works. It's a bit of both. That's disastrous. Jesus is saying it's a lifelong project. It's something you sign up for for the rest of your life. And it's not a burden, even though sometimes it's hard and messy. It's a great joy because we have real hope. We have fellowship together. It's a project because we don't know when picking up the cross gets really, really heavy. There are times in our life when to be reminded that I need to pick up my cross is hard, harder than other times. And I'm only going to be able to do it if I'm trusting in the grace of God and preparing myself for those times. So that when I'm confronted with it, I'm kind of ready, even though I'm not really ready. That pie chart is actually very helpful. In some ways, that's what we've been saying. That's what Jesus has been saying. You've got your life, I'm in all of it. That's what it is. When we talk about people uh, wanting people to love Jesus, do we want them to know that it's a life that's challenging and hard? Do we want to say, oh, follow Jesus because it's really good, really good? Which sometimes what people say, follow Jesus because it will work out the best. It does in, into eternity. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that following Jesus has a cost. It has a cost, but it's worth it. If you don't know where you are with God, today is a great day for you to be here because you can see what it is to be a follower of Jesus. There was a song that was just playing in the background that you probably, probably didn't hear when the kids were going out called The Cost. Some great words in it. Basically they say, 
I look at you, Jesus, and I consider, is it worth following you? And yes, it is. In that song, they say, I've counted up the cost. I don't, I do not need safety as much as I need you. You're dangerous, but Lord, you are beautiful. The beauty of God is devotion to us, his glory and sovereignty over all things. It's worth it. Surely whatever is confronting us today, what will confront you tomorrow, confront you in 20, 30, 40, even 50 years' time, is worth it. Because there is a life of glory with God awakened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we're counting up the cost of being devoted to your Son. And it is so wonderfully clear how it's so worth following you. We thank you for the love of of this world we see. We thank you that Jesus has died for us. Wherever we are today in wrestling with this, whether we're not sure whether we want to truly follow you or whether we're coming again afresh wanting to commit to picking up our cross and following you. By your Spirit, Lord, transform us. Help us to never be ashamed, to not seek to gain this world. Thank you that we are saved by grace. Amen.